They say that Mark Emmerich is a complete failure at leadership. Uh, first of all, it was nice of Mark Emmerich to come out of the witness protection program yesterday to let us know what we should all know about the college football season. He is the president of the NCAA. He makes three and a half million dollars a year. And him telling us there's a problem is like a meteorologist telling us uh, during a hurricane that it's raining outside. Uh, he has had a complete uh he is a complete abject failure at leadership. He's, he's been derelict in his duty. And quite frankly, I think he should be fired. Uh, we might wait till this uh, storm passes to get rid of him. But he has no he has no use whatsoever except taking up uh, air, airwaves with idiotic, inane and, and unimportant statements. So, 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 Ryan, bottom line is that Matt Brown is saying what a lot of people are saying. College football needs leadership. They have five conference commissioners, but no one, no one is in charge. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in. It is July 18th, 2020. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. And that intro you just heard there was Paul Feinbaum digging in deep. Tell us how you really feel my goodness, what a way to start the show right there. Okay, I normally do the show on Fridays, so why am I doing it on Saturday? Well, originally the plan was to have a second uh, episode, two episodes this week, which I've done for the past two weeks. It was going to be on Monday or Tuesday, but my buddy Nick, who's been helping me out co-hosting those weekend recap episodes, went down to the Outer Banks with his family, had some, you know, issues with the Wi-Fi. wasn't sure if it was going to work, so we nixed that in the butt. And uh, yesterday, I would have done the episode, but I went to Top Golf with my brother and his wife, and we had some fun there. That was like 9.30. It was a late, late start, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. And um, fortunately enough, here in Jersey, we are really starting to get this virus under control. So yes, Top Golf was open. Uh, I do want to say this before we really get into the show and I really start things off. I've been playing a lot of golf lately. I, I have a tee time book for tomorrow. I played on Wednesday. I, I've ordered some new clubs. I got a new driver, TaylorMade Sim Max driver, paid good money for that. I then ordered some uh, TaylorMade Sim Max irons, which I ordered on the 8th of July. It's now the 18th. They have not moved. They went from Georgia to Jacksonville, Florida, to like a distribution center within the U.S. Postal Service. And I've gotten zero updates, except uh, it's claiming that on the 16th, oh, it's in transit, moving within the, the network. There's no delivery date pending. It was supposed to deliver by Wednesday, the latest. I have not heard anything. Luckily, my uh, the seller of the item on eBay, he's been very kind. He's been emailing me back and forth, and he told me he's gonna he's gonna contact his postmaster on Monday. I put in a message within the USPS. I emailed them. They got back to me today. They have no updates whatsoever. I, I mean, this is a complete and utter joke. I paid seven hundred dollars, over seven hundred dollars, with tax and and shipping and everything for these irons. They normally go for over a thousand dollars. Okay. They're brand new and I would love to get my new club so I can try them out on the course. This is absolutely absurd. I could have driven down to Jacksonville, Florida and picked them up 
in, in a faster amount of time. My guess at this point is that because of all the COVID cases in Florida, because these idiots down there either don't want to wear masks or they keep going and getting tested. My brother made a good point. Now, I'm not undermining the the seriousness of this uh, virus or anything because my brother who had it may, you know, said this. He was out of work for about a month, too, with the virus. So it, it hit him you know, fairly hard. He had some breathing issues, et cetera. But he made a good point. We just have to learn to live with this virus. It's sort of similar to the flu in the sense that once we have the vaccine, that's really what it's going to be. It's just going to be the flu. We've gotten it under control to the point where most of the people that are contracting it are either asymptomatic or or they're very mild cases. We are having, you know, deaths every day, but and over 70,000 cases a day, which to my point is that I think people are getting tested so exorbitantly that it's, you know, ramping up these numbers. Okay. And we really, you know, don't have a clear cut idea exactly how it spreads or anything like that. So all you could really do is wear your masks and, and social distance, et cetera. But we have to just realize that it is, it's going to happen. If you get it, you're, you know, if you're going to get it, you're going to get it. And, and that's that. And, and, you know, like I said, once that vaccine finally comes out, which, you know, that's the big, that's the X factor is when is the virus, uh, you know, the vaccine going to come out? I don't know. We have Russia over here trying to hack the US, Canada, the UK for research on a vaccine, you, you know, all this crazy stuff. But really, I need my people over at the USPS to go back to work in Jacksonville. Okay, because I need my damn golf clubs. All right. It's absurd. It's been 10 days. They should have been delivered already. I've had items that I ordered two days after that get delivered to me today. An item coming from California that I ordered a day before that got delivered on Monday. I mean, it's just absurd. And I've had it, you know, up to here with the fact that I've gotten zero response from the U.S. Postal Service except to, to, to try and tell me that they don't know where the package is and that it hasn't left Jacksonville. It, it's just a complete joke. I understand that this is a serious thing going on in, in Florida right now with, with the virus and, and the amount of cases every day, but get your crap together, people, because this is unacceptable. I've been reading on Twitter of a lot of people that are having similar issues, and, and it's like you're not even you're not doing your job at this point. And when you don't do your job, normally you get fired. Okay. So, you know, that's my little rant for the day. I want my damned golf clubs and I want them soon. It's been way too long. All right. Let's finally get into this thing. Dive in. It seems very old at this point, but we're going to start with golf. You had last weekend, the Workday Charity Open. You had the final round. It ended up going to a playoff between Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa. It was a wild one in the first pl- on the first playoff hole. Justin Thomas made a 50-foot putt. Then Colin Morikawa, just 23 years old, he had to make a 24-foot putt to answer and continue and stay alive, and he drained it. Okay, he would end up going on to win on the third playoff hole, Morikawa. And just one month ago, if you remember back, he lost to Dylan Berger in a playoff. And just less than a year ago, he locked up his first PGA Tour victory. So very successful for this young kid, Morikawa. Like I said, just 23 years old. And if you uh, look back a few weeks ago, almost a month ago to uh, to June 26th, excuse me, Morikawa missed his first cut 
um, on the PGA Tour, his young PGA Tour career, ending what was a streak of 22 consecutive made cuts, the second longest streak only to, of course, Tiger Woods, who had a streak of 25. He's becoming a force to be reckoned with, so he's one to watch out for Although he didn't, you know, he isn't having a, didn't have a good weekend uh, this week at the Memorial. And speaking of the Memorial. Tiger, 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 Woodchuck. Golf is garbage. Tiger, watch. So, Tiger, how did you play today? Well, got off to kind of a slow start. Tiger, now. Tiger, wow. Who is he, Tiger? Tiger. Oh, Tiger didn't win. It didn't even make Sunday exciting. Let's talk about Tiger Woods, because that's what we really want to talk about. Making his return, first time in about four months since the pandemic, he was paired up on Thursday with Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka. Okay, he has played the Memorial 17 times and has never missed the cut now, this being his 18th time playing. DraftKings FanDuel, thank you very much. They gave me free money because they had a bet. Uh, Max bet $50 to win $62 on DraftKings. And then FanDuel had a Pat McAfee bonus. Uh, You know, it was even money. So bet 50, win 50. So I, you know, I won a, you know, nice 112 bucks because guess what? Tiger Woods, although he was uh, played well on day one, minus one for the day, he struggled mightily on Friday, yesterday. And he finished at plus three. He had one of the earlier... T rounds at 8.17 a.m. Eastern there in Detroit at the Memorial Jack Nicklaus's course. And the course, don't get me wrong, it was playing much tougher because if you date, if you look back a week prior, uh, the, the final winning score was like 19 under. And right now, I think the highest score is like nine under, but it was like five under or six under after after the first day. So Tiger was looking good, you know, sitting there at minus one. But going into round two, he starts off, you know, two out of the first three holes. He's looking strong. He's at two under, and, you know, he's looking great. And all of a sudden, you know, the hinges come off the door and, and he's struggling left and right. He hits a shot, uh, into, you know, from, from just off the green, uh, bad stance. And he shanks it into the sand trap, just shots that I would hit. And, and I'm starting to get worried. He finishes the round at th- you know, he finishes three over and I'm thinking, oh my God, because the projected cut was plus two. But again, there was all of these uh, afternoon rounds and, and players left to go on the course. I end up coming home from work. I decide to take a nap. I'm a little pissed off. He's going to miss the cut, of course, when I bet on it, you know, first time ever. And when I wake up, I go downstairs and, you know, my dad's watching it dinner time. And I see all of a sudden the projected cut is plus three. And I'm like, oh, baby, you've got to be kidding me. I'm licking my lips. I'm thinking, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel, they must be losing their minds because they're going to be about to be out millions. Of course, they'll probably make that up throughout the weekend. But in the end, Tiger, in fact, does make the cut at plus three. And, you know, it's, it's great for me. Uh, He doesn't really have a chance to win this. Uh, Of course, he's won, I think, five times. But yeah, he he did very, very poorly after round two. Uh, like I said, he was plus four for the round, plus three overall, shooting a 76. Here's what he did have to say after round two. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't quite moving as well as I'd like and uh, couldn't quite you know turn back and couldn't quite clear. So it was a bit of a struggle. I don't have the same type of stamina as I used to have, that's for sure. And I'm a lot older now, so uh, things change. 
they evolve and uh, it, it is what it is, you know, and try to suck it up as best you can and get through it. So, yeah, um, back at it again this morning. A little too early for me because, like I said, I had a late night. So, um, had a much better day today. He shot, I want to say, I think he shot a one under. So I think he moved up to plus two for the day, but he did, he did talk about how his body felt from, you know, from yesterday to today. Uh, overall, I felt like I, I played well today. Uh, controlled the ball well. I hit uh, one really bad shot there at three. Uh, but other than that, uh, it was a pretty good solid day. How much better did you feel this morning compared to yesterday morning? A lot. <laughs> a lot. It uh, felt more like I did the first day. And uh, that's just the way it is. You're, what have you learned so far through 54 holes about where you're at right now? Well, I think that uh, getting back into the flow and competing again and playing you know, at this level, uh, I hadn't done that in a while. Playing at home and playing out here is so very different. And uh, making sure that I, I stay sharp and don't make any silly, silly mistakes and dump the ball in the wrong spots or give myself bad angles. And that's one of the things of, of playing competitive golf is very different than playing at home. And that's why it was very important for you to make the cut? Absolutely. Absolutely. Get a, in a couple more rounds in, in me competitively. I was uh, fortunate the cut came back. Uh, I made a little run at the end yesterday. And uh, at the time, it was looking like it was going to be at two. But uh, fortunate enough, I snuck in at three. So there you have that. Tiger talking about how his body felt after today's round. Okay, here's your updated standings. You've got Tony Finau currently the sole leader at 10 under par. You've got Ryan Palmer is 9 under, John Rahm 8 under, Patrick Cantley 7 under, and then a couple guys at 6 under, 5, 4, 3, etc. Uh, this is still very early, though. You, Tony Finau is only through 6 holes. These top couple guys only through about 6 holes, 10 holes, 11 holes, these, these couple guys here. Um, if I had to choose, if you want me to pick a winner who I think is going to pull this one out, look, I like Tony Finau a lot, but he seems to be a guy that just can't really hold on and get those wins. He seems to sort of choke it away a lot of times. And Ryan Palmer, he's like 44 years old, so I'm not sold on that guy either. I'm going to take my guy, John Rahm. I think that he looked the best yesterday. He's sitting there at eight under. He's even through six right now. So I look for him to be in contention, definitely possibly a final pairing headed into uh, tomorrow's round. Okay, let's move on and talk some NBA. Lakers guard Rajon Rondo suffered a fractured thumb in practice. He is going to miss about six to eight weeks. This is a huge blow for the Lakers' title hopes. They've already lost, of course, Avery Bradley, and now they lose Rajon Rondo, veteran point guard, won a championship with the Celtics. So just not good. 322 players have been tested since arriving to Orlando on July 7th, and only two have tested positive for coronavirus. That is a great sign. The bubble does seem to be working. Both of those players that did test positive, they left campus and they are in fact isolating at home. So that is good. They don't think it's spread to anyone else. Russell Westbrook, he is another guy that announced he tested positive for COVID, said he's feeling well and he will join his team in the bubble when he is cleared. So he's at home. Now, James Harden, interestingly enough, another Houston Rockets player, 
also did not travel with the team to Orlando. His status was currently unknown. He has since arrived to Orlando. I'll have more on that later. I don't know why he 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 didn't travel with the team. I still don't know why that is, but more on him later. Okay, so by now I'm sure you've seen the posts from players inside the bubble condemning the horrible food, the living conditions, etc. Well, the Suns' Kelly Oubre Jr., he let his fellow NBA brethren know that Postmates was delivering to the hotel. You just had to go outside and meet the delivery person at the entrance because security wasn't going to hold the food for you. So the Kings were Sean Holmes. He was like, oh, sweet, I'm going to jump on that. He orders his delivery, goes outside, but he made the mistake of crossing the campus line and now has to go back and quarantine in the bubble in his room for 10 days. And guess what? He wasn't the only one. Houston Rockets, Bruno Caboclo. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I think he's Brazilian. He also violated the bubble. Rockets are having a rough week. after play. So here's, the, here's basically the rules, which they obviously didn't follow because it was a 113-page document. Uh, briefing and let's let's face it these guys weren't going to read one page of that if let alone if they can even read after players entered the league's bubble at the Walt Disney World Resort last week anyone caught leaving for an unauthorized reason or breaking the initial quarantine period which included being confined to a hotel room until passing multiple coronavirus tests in a longer than 24 hour span was subject to the league's re-entry protocols. I believe that's what Caboclo did. He didn't stay in the hotel room for that initial quarantine period. Continuing on, that means undergoing enhanced coronavirus testing, testing with the long swab up the nose. No, thank you. That is no fun. I've been there, done that. Not with the coronavirus test, but I've had stuff, a tube shoved up my nose down into my stomach and Let me just tell you, that was the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. And I've gone through foot surgeries. I've gone through a lot. And that was easily the worst. So with that being said, um, that means undergoing enhanced coronavirus testing, testing, yeah, with the long swab of the nose, as opposed to the less invasive tests players are getting during their time in the bubble. So follow the rules and it'll be fine. Don't, and you got to get the the big swab up the nose. In addition to a 10-day quarantine period in their hotel room, which of course were Sean Holmes who left to get some food. Okay, so yes, this is what happened with Caboclo. I was correct. He left his room during that initial quarantine period. He was unaware that he was not allowed to do so despite the league informing all players and staff of the protocol. Like I said, 113-page document. Those guys didn't read it. Somebody on the staff for each team should have, you know, been transparent with them and let them know the rules. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't. Next up, James Harden, Nikola, Nick, uh, James Harden and Jokic finally showed up in Orlando. Two key players for both of these teams, the Houston Rockets and Denver Nuggets. The reason for Harden's late arrival, like I said, I still don't know what that is. I don't know if that has since come out, but as for Jokic, We know he tested positive for COVID back in Serbia. He had to go through quarantine both there and in the U.S. before finally joining the Nuggets in Orlando. Again, still don't know why Harden showed up late. Um, Some concerning news coming out of the camp for the Pelicans. That would be 
Zion Williamson. He left the bubble on Thursday due to a reported urgent family medical matter. Again, what that is, totally unknown at this time, not sure. But this is concerning for the fact being that Zion said he is coming back or he's expected to be back but he will have to go through safety measures such as quarantining. Now, if he gets tested every single day while he's gone, then when he comes back, I believe he only has to quarantine for four days. But if he doesn't get tested every day, he will in fact have to quarantine for that 10-day period. Now, considering we are very close to a season here, uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be ready for these final games. And this is this is sad because I hope whatever's going on with this family, everything's good, all right there, everybody's safe, healthy, whatever. But they clearly added a couple teams onto this thing. They went from 16 to 22. This was clear as day to get the next LeBron James and Zion Williamson into this bubble so he could play and they could ramp up the ratings for this restart. Um, so the fact that he had to leave, I don't even know why they're calling it a bubble at this point. If players are leaving left and right, um, it's kind of a joke, but uh, you know, again, let's just hope things are, are okay for him and he gets back and he's able to, to help his team in some way. Cause they are in ninth place in the West trying to make the playoffs. Okay. Next up, Eric Bledsoe point guard for the Milwaukee Bucks, who right now are the odds on favorite to win the NBA title. He tested positive for COVID. He, I don't think he's, he's not in the bubble. I don't think he ever was in the bubble, but he is hoping to join his teammates soon. He's not feeling any symptoms and he feels, uh, he really feels good. He, he said, uh, in a statement to Yahoo sports. And again, if the Bucks want to win a title, they will need their their point guard averaging like fifteen point nine points per game. You know, he he's a key uh, piece besides Giannis to, to help this team out. Okay, back to James Harden. Finally, back to uh, he made it to the bubble, practicing uh, for the second time, I believe, yesterday. And for whatever reason, um, we still don't know or. I don't know if it came out. I didn't do enough research on that, but I think I would have I've been notified if it came out as to why he was not um, with his team when they arrived at the bubble and why he came a little bit late. But back at practice, had two practices so far, and you'd think they'd be talking about you know how he feels playing, you know how it's how it feels to be back in practice with his teammates, right? No, the talk surrounding Harden had everything to do with the mask that he was photographed wearing on Thursday. Interestingly enough, James Harden wore a mask featuring a thin blue line showing support for police. Harden addressed the mask, however, saying it was totally not a political statement. I honestly wore it just because it covered my whole face, my uh, my beard. Uh, it's, It's pretty simple, like... As I clearly talked about yesterday, uh, me finding a way to, um, you know, whether it's my jersey name or another way to uh, show my support for the Black Lives Matter. Um, so that, it's pretty simple. Yeah, it's not pretty simple, James Harden, because anything you do in these times right now is seen as a political statement. So you could sit there and you could say you're pro Black Lives Matter and everything, but the fact that you wore a thin blue line mask and a blue lives matter mask for police that makes a statement whether you meant to or not so i am very curious to see how the black community responds to this 
Is there going to be some animosity towards James Harden or some hatred? I don't know. The mask definitely did fit his whole face and it did cover his whole beard because he's got a big bushy beard. So I, I, I kind of believe him there. I also saw something about like he thought that um, it was a cool design and he didn't even realize like what he was wearing. But even if that is the case, it doesn't matter because anything you do right now is a political statement. And this is as big of a political statement as you can get. So let's wait and see, you know, the reaction to this by, by the outside world. Next up, uh, another player in the Orlando bubble that has been turning heads is the one and only Carmelo Anthony. He showed up to the bubble looking considerably slimmed down. I don't know if you guys saw a picture or video, but I hardly recognized Melo. It was very weird. He said, excuse me, he claims he's just five pounds lighter and he called it a redistribution of weight. But he said the change is in anticipation to his position change to play small forward. He went more in depth on it and had this to say. I'll take every summer is a, is a different, uh, it's a different name for me. It's, it's this summer skinny mellow, it's hoodie mellow, is USA mellow. Is there's so many different mellows out there. But at the end of the day, I'm me. You know, I, I kind of challenge myself to get down to that weight where I feel comfortable with playing the three and comfortable running around and, 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 and utilizing the things that I can utilize within those sets from playing the three. Okay, so we'll wait and see if Melo actually does in fact play the three when the restart takes place in about a week or two. Uh, can't wait, and I look forward to that. Okay, next up, let's talk NFL. The Washington Redskins announced earlier this week that they are retiring their name and logo. Oh my God, I said the I said the word. I said Redskins. Listen, until they change this name officially, I'm going to continue to say the Redskins because that is their team name. I'm not going to say the Washington football team. No, that's just stupid. And I'm sorry. I don't care if I'm offending every, anybody. I just don't. This team name has been in effect for 87 years, I believe. So, you know, it could continue on through my voice for a couple more days until they change it. The official statement from dance uh from you know from the Washington Redskins was this quote Dan Snyder and coach Rivera are working closely to develop a new name and design approach that will enhance the standing of our proud tradition rich franchise and inspire our sponsors, fans and community for the next 100 years. After 87 years, the team will no longer be called the Washington Redskins. So yes, it has been 87 years. Now, here's what I have to say about this. The funny part about this is everybody wanted them to change this name. Oh my God, it's a racist derogatory name that they use for Native Americans, like the N-word for black people, et cetera, right? That's totally fine, whatever. But make no mistake, Daniel Snyder is not changing this team name because he cares about Native Americans. No, 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 no. He is, in fact, changing this team name because you have companies like Dick Sporting Goods, Walmart, FedEx, FedEx Field, that is the name of the stadium. All companies, major companies, pulling merchandise and, and threatening to pull their naming rights from the stadium. So this was affecting Daniel Snyder's bottom line, his wallet. That is why he is making this change. There is zero reason otherwise, okay? So keep that in mind when you're like, oh, yay, they're finally changing the name. They're not doing it because you want them to. They're doing it because he's doing it because of his wallet and the money that he's losing if he doesn't do so. So he ain't, he's not woke in all of this. He's just doing it 
to make more money. Okay, uh, more on the Redskins in a little while, and it, it, it's just not been a good week for them. All right, next up, the Cleveland Browns and Miles Garrett. They finalized a five-year, $125 million extension. It will make him the highest-paid non-quarterback. So I guess, you know, assaulting somebody by ripping their helmet off and then slamming it on their head and literally assaulting them with a deadly weapon, you could argue. I guess that just gets you in this country a a, a, a $100 million extension and, and, you know, wealth. Uh, It's just absolutely absurd. I will never in my life support Miles Garrett. I wish him nothing but the worst in his career moving forward. I just can't fathom a guy like this um, doing what he did to Mason Rudolph. No matter what was said, we still will never know. No matter what it was, it does not give you... He, he, he would have been arrested if he was on the streets or in a bar or ex- anywhere else. He would have been arrested and thrown in jail. And now he is being rewarded for that type of behavior. It's just sickening, if you ask me. And uh, he's on the Cleveland Browns. So, you know, he, he's going to endure misery for the rest of his career. They'll be lucky to make the playoffs once while he's there. Okay. Kansas City has been busy first signing Patrick Mahomes and now agreeing with defensive tackle Chris Jones on a four-year, $85 million deal. So, yes, um, Chris Jones, one of, if not the best, defensive tackles in football. He is an absolute beast, and he deserved to get paid. Okay, next. Let's talk Dak Prescott. Wednesday was the deadline to get a deal done and absolutely goose eggs. Nothing was done. So Dak will play the 2020 season under the franchise tag, making $31 million. Apparently, one of the roadblocks to getting this deal done was the length of a long-term contract. The Cowboys wanted a five-year deal. Dak was only committing to four years. I don't understand why, what the difference is between one year, but it is what it is. There is a very real possibility, ladies and gentlemen, and I know Cowboys fans like Dak Prescott a lot. There is a very real possibility that he does not return after this season and does become a free agent because if the Cowboys were to elect to franchise tag him for a second year, like we saw with the Redskins and uh, Kirk Cousins before finally he left, to sign that $85 million deal with the Minnesota Vikings. This would cost the Dallas Cowboys $38 million to franchise him again next year. And to make matters even worse, Dak's brother, Tad, went uh, uh, took to Twitter and said this, There is a reason I was never a Cowboys fan growing up or before they drafted Dak. After today, who knows how much longer I'll be cheering for them. Now, if you're Jerry Jones looking at this, you cannot be pleased. And if that's the way that, you know, Dak's brother wants to, you know, wants to act, then so be it. Get rid of him. Because not for nothing, I've been having the argument with my friends last night too about Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott and who's better. Granted, They're both okay, but I would take Dak just because Carson Wentz is always hurt. Neither of these guys is all that great. Yes, Dak has all these wins in his first few years, and he's a fourth-round guy, and they found a gem, but he's a fourth-round quarterback. And the type of money that he's demanding is absolutely absurd. And then he went out and said that he can't live on $30 million a year. It's just, it's a joke. But here's what Adam Schefter had to say as to why a deal 
has not gotten done and what they can look towards moving forward. So after the season, here's what happens. Either the Dallas Cowboys can franchise Dak Prescott again to the tune of $38 million at a time where the cap is flat or down due to the pandemic, or with prices of quarterbacks rising, they can pay a huge number to Dak Prescott to keep him in Dallas, or they simply can turn down both those options and allow him to become an unrestricted free agent to leave Dallas. None of those scenarios are ideal for Dallas. Listen, they have Andy Dalton there in Dallas right now. Cut bait with Dak if he's going to be this much of a diva and just go with Dalton because honestly, Dak might be a better quarterback than Andy Dalton, but Andy Dalton has proven himself. He can win. He, he hasn't done it in the postseason, but neither has Dak. So if you plug in Andy Dalton right now, I bet you you would see very similar results. So, hey, Dak really doesn't have much leverage here. Okay, let's talk about the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry. They were, in the final hours, able to come to an agreement on a long-term extension. I did not think that this was going to get done, but they do sign star running back Derrick Henry to a four-year, $50 million contract extension, including 25.5 mil guaranteed. Of course, Henry won the NFL rushing title in 2019 and has posted consecutive seasons of more than 1,000 yards. I am interested to see the free agent running back market next season because you've got monsters like, like Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, and Alvin Kamara. So a little interested, a uh, little intrigued at the fact that the Titans were willing to to sign Henry to a long-term deal with all these guys out there. But I am curious to see where all five of these guys, six of these guys, excuse me, end up uh, next season because they could possibly all be on different teams. I doubt Kamara will be because... You know, he probably is means more to his team than any of these players. But yeah, we'll see how that looks moving forward. Next up, 72 NFL players have tested positive for COVID-19. The NFL PA did not report how many players were tested. This is as of July 10th. Now, listen, this might seem like a lot of, of players, like an exorbitant amount, but just factor factor out 90-man rosters this number comes out to just about 2.5%. So that is a very, very low number. And again, these the NFL has yet to report to training camp. So guys are not practicing, sweating on each other, you know, changing in locker rooms next to each other. So we don't know what this number will actually look like once training camp starts. So I am curious to see how that, how that pans out and w- will that number go up. Okay, now to a bombshell story that came out Thursday, I believe. The Washington Post released an article detailing incidents of sexual harassment within the Redskins organization. Um, I have not read the full article yet. I plan on doing that. But one of the accusers was a woman named Emily Applegate. She went on GMA and she told her story on Friday. Take a listen to what she had to say here. I in my time there dealt with a lot of verbal harassment, um, 
sexually and not sexually. So not only was I being hit on, but I also was being just berated and spoken down to degraded on a daily basis. I had a friend of mine that worked in a different department, but she was basically getting the same treatment from her direct boss. And we would legit cry in the bathroom. That's just horrible. Um, I don't condone, of course, any of that behavior. This goes on way more often than you would think. Uh, men can be disgusting pigs. I heard stories. Again, I didn't read the full the full article, but I heard stories of you know that these guys would tell these women, you know, bosses would tell these women when they go into these big meetings to you know wear low cut shirts or pull your you know skirt up and things of that nature. Just just ridiculous. Um, but. Now, she is, Emily Applegate is one of 15 former Washington employees accusing that the, the organization of sexual harassment. Um, the reason she's the only one going on record is, from my understanding, the other 14 are afraid of NDAs that they might have signed when they worked there. So um, I don't know exactly what is going to come of this, if they will eventually be you know, um, I, I think I did read somewhere that whoever, you know, from the Washington Post put out this article, they did contact the Redskins trying to get them released from those NDAs, but they didn't hear a comment back or anything like that. So this is going to be interesting. And yes, it was a bombshell, but for those that were looking at this and trying to bring down this entire organization, mainly Daniel Snyder, because many believe that he is a hardcore, um, you know, I, I don't want to go as far as to call him a racist, but uh, there's a lot of people that that do not like him. They think he's one of the worst owners in sports and they want him gone. This did not implicitly implicate him. Uh, a member of his inner circle, yes, from what I understand, but not him directly. So this was a blow to the organization, but not him. They've since hired an outside firm to look into this, but they, you know, we've heard this before. So again, this is all very fluid and um, this is all very new and developing. He, uh, Snyder did release a statement that read in part, the behavior described in yesterday's Washington Post article has no place in our franchise or society. This story has strengthened my commitment to setting a new culture and standard for our team, a process that be, excuse me, a process that began with the hiring of coach Ron Rivera earlier this year. Yeah. Now imagine being Ron Rivera right now. I'm pretty sure he did not sign up for any of this between, you know, the, the name change. And now this, I mean, what a total and utter mess if you're Ron Rivera and you're sitting in his shoes right now, because if you remember back, there was other coaching opportunities available, but that was the first one that opened up and Ron Rivera didn't even care. He just jumped at it. He's like, Redskins, boom, I'll take it. He didn't even care to wait for any of the other openings, which he could have been hired elsewhere. So very interesting. Now we've seen this before, uh, most recently with the Dallas Mavericks with some, you know, um, similar situation with the sexual harassment, et cetera. Okay. So this is not the first time we've heard of this, but again, this is all still developing and very fluid. And I do plan on reading that article later this evening or tomorrow. Okay. Next up, Let's jump right in. UFC 251. It seems like it was a year ago, but it was in fact one week ago on Fight Island. And my goodness, was it a stacked card? It was exciting. And I watched every minute of the main card. Four fights. Uh, you had, of course, Kamaro Usman, who I picked. 
Sorry, Nick, you were wrong. You took Masvidal, but I just had the feeling I knew on six days rest or six days notice only, he was not going to be able to get it done. Um, I really feel for him because he ended up calling me up and being that he was in North Carolina, he could not get his parlay bet in. So I placed the $40 parlay for him. He needed Masvidal. He took all the favorites on the main card. They all won. And then he needed Masvidal to upset Usman and he would have won like 400 bucks. And of course I was, I was rooting for him, but it was Usman all the way. Um, you know, the judges had it 50, 45 twice and 49, 46 for Usman. He now has won 16 fights in a row and 12 in a row in the UFC. Just remarkable. Okay, in the other two fights, you had Jose Aldo going down in defeat. Peter Yan dominated him and stopped, and it was the, the fight was stopped in the fifth round. He wins the Bantamweight Championship that was vacated by Henry Cejudo in May. Be interested to see if Cejudo comes out of retirement, maybe to fight him. Who knows? The co-main event, you had Alex Volkanovsky. He beat up Max Holloway in a split decision. This was the closest fight, okay? this A lot of people thought that Holloway won this, but it does go to Volkanovski. Just a stacked card, guys, and, and a huge success for Fight Island. According to reports, there were 1.3 million pay-per-view buys. That equates to roughly $78 million. So this being the sixth highest in UFC history and the highest since UFC 229 in 2018. So yeah, I look forward to Fight Island. Uh, we have since had uh, some more fights in Fight Island. Um, UFC Fight Night the other night. Uh, yeah, so it's been successful. It, it was fun to watch. I'm not a huge UFC guy, but I watched every fight of that main card, even the women. Okay, uh, even Thug Rose. It, it was it was a cool it was cool, uh, and I I enjoyed every minute of it. So I look forward to some more fights on Fight Island. Okay, let's jump in and talk some baseball. The Yankees, Araldis Chapman, he tested positive for COVID-19. The season being just around the corner next week, in fact, uh, they cannot count on him being ready for the season. He's going to have to quarantine for two weeks, so we'll see what that looks like. If he does come back, You know, will he be able to pitch right away? Will he be in game shape? I don't know. He will, of course, though, have to produce two negative tests within a 24-hour span of each other to return. Another guy that had tested positive was Kenley Jansen. He was late reporting to Dodgers camp this month, and he recently revealed that he and his entire family had tested positive. Thankfully, though, everybody is doing well and has recovered. He rejoined the team on Sunday, so that's good for the Dodgers uh, World Series hopes. Okay, there has been a bit of a twist in this bid to purchase the New York Mets. Of course, there are really two contenders in this whole thing. You've got A-Rod and J-Lo, and then, of course, you've got Steve Cohen. Now, Steve Cohen has all the money in the world. He would be the richest owner in sports. Of course, they had a deal in place for $2.6 billion, um, and that fell through or whatever for whatever reason. He has gone as high as offering $4 billion for all in for the SNY network as well, but they apparently, the Wilpons, don't want to give that up, and they don't really like Steve Cohen that much from what I understand, Steve Cohen being a minority owner. They do want to sell to A-Rod. Now, A-Rod's bid was like $1.7 billion, nowhere near the two point six of Steve Cohen. Well, out of nowhere, you have all of these 
star-studded athletes coming in and putting in investments to go along with this A-Rod bid. It's almost like this is a a GoFundMe page or something. You have uh, Super Bowl-winning tight end Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, retired linebacker Brian Urlacher uh, putting in an investment. You have former running back DeMarco Murray. I think he's the running back's coach at um, Oklahoma. Uh, Retired one of the best offensive linemen in history, Joe Thomas for the Cleveland Browns, Bradley Beal for the Washington Wizards, and out of nowhere, Mason Plumley. They have all joined in to invest with the A-Rod uh, and J-Lo group here. This is it's just wild. I also heard some guy from some big billionaire from from Vegas might be might be helping. I, I don't know. That that's the latest I've heard, but just very wild and crazy. Um you know, the, again, they it, it, it makes sense that you would sell to the guy with the most money so you could get the most return on investment here. But I don't know. This this is getting weirder and weirder. And they do seem to want to sell by the end of the season, uh, excuse me, by the end of the year. So again, we just have to wait and see how this thing plays out because I have no idea what this is going to look like or who they're going to end up selling to. I just don't. Okay, next up. The Washington Nationals are apparently looking for a new ballpark, although my dad says that that's not true as of today, so I don't really know. I have to look that up. (coughs) Excuse me. But apparently, Washington, D.C.'s strict quarantine laws and protocols are a cause for concern for the Nationals. They're exploring alternative sites to host home games. If this is no longer the case, then forgive me for reporting this, but earlier the other day, this was the case. But again, um, I figured that they would at least start the season playing in DC just because, you know, they've got a less than a week to find another vet. Like, what are you going to go play where the Orioles play up the road? Or you're going to go to a minor league ballpark. I mean, opening day is Thursday night where you're hosting the New York Yankees. So uh, yeah, interesting to see what happens there. Okay. The Braves got some good news and some bad news yesterday. First, the good news All-star first baseman Freddie Freeman was finally cleared to return back to Braves practice for the first time since he tested positive for coronavirus on July 4th. That is good news there. Now for the bad news, Yasiel Puig tested positive for coronavirus. The free agent outfielder, if you remember earlier in the week, he had agreed to a deal with the Atlanta Braves. However, that was contingent upon testing negative which he, of course, did not. He tested positive. So he is back to being a free agent and will not be signing with the Atlanta Braves. Now, what's interesting, preliminary tests around the league are very, very good as of right now. So although Puig tested positive, not many other players have been testing positive. The number has been extremely low, and this looks to be a very good sign for the return of a baseball season. There is certainly some skepticism around the game, like the the numbers really this low, but MLB and the MLBPA are coming together and saying this. And when you have only six positive tests out of 10,500 plus that were taken over the past week, it is a much lower number than people in the game expected. And it's really the biggest reason, I think, why opening day looks like such a realistic possibility at this point. Hey, it's, you know, it's coming up. It's on Thursday. I've got my fantasy baseball draft. 
which has been rescheduled like four times. Hopefully it, it, you know, it gets done on Tuesday. That's where it's set up right now, but yeah, opening day Thursday. Um, I know it's, you know, nationals Yankees, and then you've got, um, you know, the later game, but I know Yankees outfielder, Clint Frazier, he spoke about wearing his mask and he plans on wearing it all season long, even when he is playing out in the outfield. And I'm curious to see, I don't think that he will be the only one. Cause if you get a good, you know, one of those breathable ones, it realistically, um, you could play with it, but I, I just don't see why you would play with it because if you're on the field, if you're going to get the virus on the field playing, you're going to get the virus. I, I don't think it makes sense to to wear a mask and go through all that. It just seems weird. But hey, he wants to give himself the best chance to stay healthy all season. More power to him. Um, I think it would be, you know, when you're in the outfield, it's not necessarily so bad because you're obviously six feet apart. Uh, you know, the question remains like when you're up at the plate or when you're coming in contact, if you're on the bases with your coach, you know, all that sort of stuff, but Hey, that's his prerogative. That's what he wants to do and more power to him. Okay. Let's get to some other news out here. Shador Sanders, son of hall of famer, Deion Sanders. He has committed to Florida Atlantic university. This is very intriguing. He is a four-star quarterback and the highest since ESPN started its ranking in 2009 to commit to FAU. So that is crazy. Uh, Willie Taggart down there coaching at FAU now. So we'll see what they make, what they make of a Shadur Sanders. The NHL has finally opened training camps as of Monday uh, on July 26th, the 24 teams still vying for a Stanley cup title will travel to the hub cities of Edmonton and Toronto exhibition games will then take place from July 28th through the 30th, setting up the Stanley cup tournament starting August 1st. Now, interestingly enough, I believe the stadium in Edmonton where the hub city, one of the hub cities is going to be. I just recently saw they had a big storm there and it flooded. So I don't know if they're scrambling to find a new place or clear out this flooding, but that is something to keep an eye on as well. Now to a more serious um, story coming out of the WNBA, their superstar, mystic superstar, Elena Della Don went absolutely off on the WNBA. She took to the Players' Tribune to write about her experience. Uh, She was denied, in fact, denied a medical exemption, meaning that she claims that she is high risk And if she were to sit out the season because the doctors for the WNBA deemed her not high risk and denied her medical exemption, they would not pay her, which is shocking because when she revealed on the Players' Tribune what she has been going through, uh, my jaw dropped. Uh, I'll let her tell her story right now. It's going to take me a couple days just with my wife. To decide, you know, what's next. I mean, I take 64 pills a day. I know taking that much medication every day probably doesn't have a great effect on my long-term health, but I love the game of basketball. People deserve my honesty and deserve to see the fight that I go through to just have a normal life, let alone be on a basketball court. You heard that correctly. 64 pills a day for her Lyme's disease, that is just incredible. And the fact that they said she's not high risk, unreal. Of course, once all this goes public and she, and she uh, voices, you know, this whole grievance and everything with the world, 
the Washington Mystics changed their tone a little bit, and they claim that she will be paid, and there is a little bit of a misunderstanding. So here is Washington Mystics head coach Mike Tabalt explaining just that. The fact of the matter is that the Mystics organization will never put Elena's or any other of our other players' health and well-being in jeopardy at any time. She is part of our roster. She is being paid and is continuing to rehab from her off-season back surgery. Her long-term care and health as a major foundation piece of the Mystics will always take precedence. So there you have that. We'll wait and see what does, in fact, come of this. Does Deladon play or not? All right, next up, the uh, Miami Hurricanes postponed their workouts. They had at least three players test positive for COVID-19. So out of an abundance of caution, they decided to postpone their workout. Um, I haven't heard the latest on that, that being their, of course, the football team there, um, University of Miami. So uh, um, we'll wait and see how that plays out. And then the NCAA has made some rule adjustments for the upcoming football season. This is an interesting one. FBS level teams will now be allowed to count two wins against teams from the second tier FC division towards their six wins needed for bowl eligibility. Typically, um, only just one win counts towards bowl, you know, six win bowl eligibility. You need typically six wins to uh, make it to a bowl. Okay, last up, the uh, NASCAR, they held their all-star race. Um, I want to say maybe Sunday at Bristol Motor Speedway, and it was a bit different. Why, might you ask? Well, they had lots of fans in attendance. I think it was like 20,000 of them. This becoming the largest sporting event with spectators since the pandemic began in March. Chase Elliott dominated the race to win the All-Star Cup Series, and he came away or walked away with a cool $1 million. Okay, and last but not least, guys, on this date in sports history, we'll take it all the way back to July 18th, 1989, when David Cohn threw the 16th perfect game in Major League history against the Montreal Expos. It'll be a 1-1 pitch. He popped him up. He's going to get it. Rochus down from third. Rochus makes the catch. Ball game over. A perfect game. A perfect game for David Cohn. That's all I've got for you guys. It's been another fun episode, episode 106 of This Week in Sports. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. This is the Pody signing out.